Hi, welcome to Critical Myth Theory. My name is Alexander. My name is Joel. Let's get into it. All right, so today we are going to be talking about C.S. Lewis's The Chronicles of Narnia, seven book series. Yeah, well, our first point is going to, it's going to follow the structure that we did with our um, with our Lord of the Rings episode. So our first point is going to be talking about what the Chronicles of Narnia are and the inspiration. This one's going to be a bit shorter. Um, C.S. Lewis, you know, a little mm-hmm. bit more like that J.R.R. Tolkien. It's going to be deeper and more direct reasons. Yeah. And then our second point will be uh, some of the biggest themes that separate it from The Lord of the Rings. I don't think that we're going to talk about the movies. Um, there's no. there's three of them, and, <laughs> and one or two of them are good, in my opinion. Um, <laughs> yeah. Actually, you know what? It's straight up objective. One or two of them are good. Like the like the voyage of the dawn treader is pretty good cinematic, but sure. Yeah. Anyway, but I, yeah, yeah, we can we can talk about movie quality at some point, but that's not really why I wanted to talk about this topic. So I think yeah, we can kind of shy away from the topic. Yeah, with the I, I get so passionate about this stuff because it bothers me. The second one's good. Anyway, I just had to say. Um, and then the third one, as usual, it's going to be our longest point. This one's going to be themes and questions in the books. Um, we're going to get into some and we're going to miss others. Right. You know, and ones that we miss, we can always catch up in a later episode. Right. Yeah. So I'm just going to say, uh, kind of as a... Uh, <laughs> if you, I hope you like the uh, sound of uh, Joel's voice. Mostly because of the fact that um, I genuinely don't remember a lot about the books. I read them as a kid. Um, and I admit, I haven't touched them since. Uh, I understand that there is actually a lot of content for an adult to go back and, and reflect on the series but i just haven't and uh <laughs> i kind of feel embarrassed saying so but uh, that's kind of where i'm at so you, i'm gonna mostly rely on joel's knowledge here to kind of get through the conversation uh, do you know what man you were our lord of the rings expert you know yeah, you I'll can take it. yeah and and look that's some of the episodes one of us is going to be a bit more expert on yeah. on uh one and the other one will be expert on the, on another and yeah. i it's nice having two people for that <laughs> Um, I'll admit, I mean, if we were talking about any of his non-fictional uh, work, then I'd probably have a lot more to say about it. Um, but given that we're talking about Narnia in particular, uh, certainly uh, not my area of expertise. You would have so. the edge on me on, on perhaps, the yeah, perhaps. stuff. But uh, yeah, I think uh, I think we should really just dive into um, dive into the points. Um, so our first point: What are the Chronicles of Narnia and the inspiration? Yeah, no, I should probably ask the question because again, I need you to answer. So, what are the Chronicles? Of Narnia? <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Um, well, the Chronicles of Narnia is a seven-book series, C.S. Lewis. It's um, Christian mythology and this biblical illusion, almost. Um, it's got um, sort of some shamanistic and also um, folklore elements to it, um, although I guess shamanism is a little bit of a scary word in this case. Right. Um, I don't mean it sort of in a religious element, but, on, but in the animals being of equal value to the humans like some of them at least being intelligent i think that that is warranted um and the the chronicles of narnia are a fantasy um and i think that this moves straight on to the second point because we might as well yeah just move straight into it for sure um the the biggest themes that separate it from the lord of the rings our world is still connected into it right you know, um, we're the the main effects for better or for worse in the world of Narnia are run by humans okay. and their leadership. Right. Um, and the beasts being intelligent still follow the human lead. Um, 
there's Helen and Frank um, in the first book, um, or it depends how you look at it chronologically or by publication. Um, but The Magician's Nephew, we're going to be calling it first through seventh um, by chronology uh, rather than publication. Uh, the first book you have Frank and Helen, who are um, your son of Adam and daughter of Eve. That That's going to be your monarch and the descendants. After that's going to be the Pevensies. Right. Um, and after that's going to be Caspian's line. All of them somehow either descended or from Earth. Right. So um, that's a big difference. Um, Earth and Narnia are very connected. Narnia is almost contingent on, on our world because... Um, because that that main effect is um, that main effect of good and evil is by humans from Earth, right. from our world. So it almost seems like because there's um, Tolkien doesn't even have this in the same world. Like his content's not even in the same world. It's completely separate, right? The main characters, the ones that we kind of read through, are not even human. They're not even from Earth. They're not from London. Um, whereas the children that we read through in Narnia, from what I understand. <laughs> They are they're from Earth, right? So I think that that speaks volumes into the actual content, um, from what I understand, right? Mm-hmm. The, the the it's almost like there's this thicker veil of the storytelling in, in Tolkien. Right? Tolkien kind of came at it from I want to tell a story. Yeah, there will be there will be themes and symbols behind it, but a lot of stuff I'm just telling a story. Whereas Lewis had often, from what I understand of it, made more uh, effort into. Yeah, showing the showing the the connection to our world and how this 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 specific theme speaks to our world. Well, right? and well, you're absolutely right about that because um, I think C.S. Lewis deals with more like current uh, events. Um, well, at least current in his time, World War Two being one of them, mm-hmm. um, uh, and religious and political questions as well. Uh, political, vaguely, um, you'll see that in Eustace Scrub in the Voyage of the Dawn Treader being this. Um, this very liberal rights type of guy, mm-hmm. um, and and definitely to a fault, um, and so those those are some really big differences between the Lord of the Rings and and the Chronicles of Narnia. Chronicles of Narnia are very connected to uh, and kind of contingent on our world, and also deals with current events, religious well current for its time of course, religious and political themes. Um, once again, not so much po- political, but there is some. Um, some of the ideas of of Lewis really come out. Um, some of those current philosophic ideas. Right. Um, whereas for Tolkien, it's it's more, um, I would say, deeply mythological. Um, and and I I know I know, but like there's it's more specifically Christian. Right. And. and Maybe I should say pagan mythology. I think repurposed for um, this this kind of for Lord of the Rings, it's pagan mythology almost repurposed for um, for uh, Christ-like message. Sure. Although that's still not the point. The Christ-like yeah. message is still not the point. So would you? I don't know, kind of a question here for you. Then would you almost wonder? Then is that going to speak into the success of the two franchises? Because um, we see now. Um, that the that Lord of the Rings is taken as, uh, you know, I would say liter- literary success. I mean, like you read it, in, you read it in, in in school, and it's very well known by so many people. Um, whereas something like Chronicles of Narnia, 
people will refer to it as a children's series, and I, I, I do believe that, um, I mean, you, I, I don't think it's, um, yeah, I mean, like I said, like, I, as much as I understand that Narnia has its uh, good reading for ad- adults, it is, I'd say, often more uh, understood to be children reading. Do you think that is the, probably the big theme as to why there's such a big difference in their cultural acceptance, or is it more the Christian message that's more alluded to in, in Narnia's series than it is in Tolkien's? Yeah, I can kind of understand that. Um, I would say that both are going to have lasting effects. One, I, I would say Lord of the Rings, um, having this, having the element of not being um, as contemporary as it was and being otherworldly right you know it has the benefit of that i think it can transcend time okay like that because the because the technology is and the um and the mythology and um the story and everything it's very very relevant to the world that it's in whereas um chronicles of narnia um doesn't quite have that benefit being very tied into the world at its time all the same, though, I think that uh, the Chronicles of Narnia won't die. Um, I think that it will continue to be valuable, um, you know, if um, if our Lord doesn't come back in, you know, two centuries or something like that. I think sure. it will continue to be, um, I think it will be, con- uh, it, it will continue to be valuable and remembered. Right. Do you think, do you think in the secular realm it would be as well? Maybe not as much, but still, because okay. C.S. Lewis still had um, a very strong impact in philosophy just generally right um, he was a Christian philosopher but he's not in the in he's not as it's not as if he were in a circle called Christian philosophy where everything else was right. outside um, he was very influential in, uh, in his time and still after um, uh, especially, I think that's where a lot of his other writings are going to be pretty useful at keeping right. himself uh, as a piece of history. Um, so I'm I'm not worried about that. I'm not worried that the Chronicles of Narnia are going to die off. No, and I don't even know if that was necessarily my concern, but more just how popular it was in particular. Mm. Um, I also wonder if perhaps some of the movie quality has definitely uh, influenced that as well. Yeah, uh, how many people would know about Lord of the Rings if the movies weren't such good quality? Um, and if if Narnia had. Uh, this is kind of where we disagree, I think, and I disagree with a lot of people in my circles who defend the Narnia movies. I, I think they're good, kind of. I'm not going to sit there and say that they're great movies. They're not quality movies. Um, they're they, not Lord of the Rings value. Uh, uh, certainly not. And uh, now I would I, I don't think I could put any movie really up to the quality of Lord of the Rings, but even... Um, but there's still... I don't know, there's something missing. Um, I, I have a hard time taking them seriously, to be perfectly honest with you. Mm-hmm. Um... And, um, I and I, I, that you know what? it could be entirely subjective. But for, for, for what I understand, it it isn't. <laughs> it is actually a bit more objective that they're just not quality cinema. Um, and I wonder how much of that is influenced their uh, okay popularity. Well, we're not going to avoid the movie <laughs> question, so let's let's just get into sure. that one real uh, real briefly. Well, sure. we'll keep it. Br- we'll try to. Right. <laughs> um, the second one I really liked. I really liked. Sorry, the second book, the the first movie. So the Lion, yeah. the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Um, that one, I think, was faithful mm-hmm. to um, faithful to the books, and it 
did not shy away from the deep themes that were, uh, and those really deep things that were exposed in that um, Christ-like story, um, that Christ-like sacrificial story, that, um, in the line, the witch in the wardrobe, mm-hmm. um, and the picture was done pretty well. Right. The problem is once they start importing current day things into um, into the movies. Uh, one of them, for example, would be, and and this completely ruined the movie for me was <laughs> Prince Caspian and Susan having some romantic whatever it was like <laughs> like they just make out at the end of the movie and it's it's it it took away from it completely right. um it took away from what i knew the future was going to be for caspian and his descendants right. um and you know susan doesn't end up she doesn't she doesn't end up good right um she ends up unfaithful anyway it's it's sort of this it's this modern desire to just make everything romantic no matter what the consequences are i don't even know if it's like i almost i'd almost chalk it up to teenage romance like a teenage drama you know you have to add it because that's kind of the demographic that you're aiming for right yeah at least for that character you know i mean if you want to relate to that character she's a teenage girl and and so you want to you want to add that teenage drama whereas you didn't get that drama in, in something like lord of the rings because there was no character that was in that age bracket to have that demographic being sold to right yeah um so i wonder if that's a part of it part of the reason why we see that but that's just me kind of musing Mm -hmm. mindlessly (laughs) and then voyage of the dawn treader i liked a lot more than prince caspian in terms of movie like there is some there are some parts where it's unfaithful to the books but i think almost in a benefit one of them is where um prince caspian and edmund almost like fall apart um like uh, i i what what was it that they were fighting over i think that they were fighting over uh kingship and at one point um a beautiful um a deistic type is it not deistic um a goddess-like woman who um who sort of was like the needle of the compass um one of the stars i think um, in the movies, but that one I think kind of added a little bit more depth to mm-hmm. to Caspian and to Edmund, and I didn't mind that they made Reaper Cheap, um, like even his voice a little bit more um, respectable and manly and right. everything like that in the movie. There are some things where it's like it's different, and right. I don't mind it, but it is also. It, it is also different than, than the books in, in a few ways like that. Um, and I thought, and that's the one where I'm like, yeah, maybe two are, are good. Right. Um, but, but I also wonder if there's something to be said for just the actual content itself being transferable to a movie screen. Yeah. Right. I wonder if it's easier to visualize because it, it Again, Tolkien's is a, is 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 a story in and of itself, right? It's telling this epic story that can be visualized. Whereas I think something like like Lewis again, you're you're reading between the lines. Yep. Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. Right. And so perhaps some of the things like, for example, talking beaver, it will take you out of the story when you see it, but when you read about it, it's different, right? I, I, yeah. I don't know. That's maybe that that's just me, but like because that's for from a moving movie making perspective, that's such a 
a hit or miss thing for one thing, right? Because there's that there's that realm of there's the issue um, of Aslan itself, yeah, yeah himself, exactly. like uh, not like trying to depict him on, yeah. uh, on screen as well. In and the I way wonder that if the books. I wonder if there's a struggle with that then between the two. Because again, I can't take Narnia as a movie series seriously. And I, I wonder now, I mean, kind of as we're sitting here musing about them, I'm wondering if even I could, even if it was 100% faithful to the book. Hmm. Right? That being said, I take the series seriously, but in and of itself, but that could be because it's, you know, written content that has the stuff in yeah. between the lines. That... I just also want to say for The Voyage of the Dawn Treader, the casting of Eustace Scrub was brilliant okay it was it was brilliant <laughs> i you know he was he was obnoxious but also kind of silly and you you kind of hated the guy and then you kind of liked the guy and i i think i think he did the trick of playing this this um pompous stuck-up guy who who reforms okay um i thought that the fifth one was uh really good cinematically because you know you're dealing with monsters and beasts and um it, you know same way that lord of the rings does um mm. So, I think that that one did all right. Um, actually, as we're talking about it, I might have become more favorable to it. As sure, uh, and the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe—it's the symbolic point that matters, mm-hmm. and the symbolic point is done pretty well in the movies. Yeah, no, I, I'll give you that. Um, Prince Caspian still total flop for me. <laughs> uh, that that movie was a total flop for me. Um, right. I wonder. I wonder if they. You know, if if the deal didn't fall out, they should have kept making those movies, though. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing, too, is I think with something like that, like, you really want to stay true to as much of the content, having a plan, right? Like, I think to me, I could talk about Lord of the Rings all the time, and I, I probably definitely should stay away from this topic. But I think one of the biggest successes is that they made the three movies the same time, which definitely helped because there was no disconnect. There was no worry about it not continuing. Right? There's so much quality of of um just knowing that it's going to be the same quality basically across the series whereas if you take it you know you do it like as you do in current hollywood where you're having you know a movie now in a couple years you make the sequel the quality can change quite drastically in a couple years right anyways but that's that's again we can i think i (laughs) I think we should leave the movies for now and i think i think you're thinking the same um right um, and let's, I think we should get into what we do best, which is talking about the themes and the questions. Yeah, for sure. Um, and so, these are going to be some of the themes. There are so many themes. <laughs> if you got any uh, that you really think we should touch on, we'll make another episode at some point. Yeah. Um, I, honestly, like, if if we're going to be missing any themes, then let us know as well um, afterward. Because, it's, it, honestly, it makes a great conversational piece to uh reflect back on these sorts of things especially for someone like me who maybe needs to go back and read the series again right Mm -hmm. and actually look for these themes as we go through them um so for now basically i'm going to be asking you about questions about themes and we're going to see how it goes so well i think the first (laughs) thing we should talk about um is perhaps aslan himself right um so uh we we were kind of talking about him a, a little bit earlier before um we got up and recorded this uh, episode and we're talking about the uh, the different ways that he's represented in uh, books right. like in the first book and that and once again chronologically um, in the first book the magician's nephew he's um, he's represented as uh, the creating word you know he he speaks and he sings and things come to life and the in this empty room becomes the world of Narnia and the beasts um, come come alive um, 
out of the ground, um, and uh, some are given intelligence. Right. And he's he's sort of got this logos element. He he breathes intelligent. He breathes life, and then further on intelligence into into right. these creatures. Okay. Um, and Lewis immediately puts Narnia sort of as a contingent world to our world by um, not creating man. Okay. Like, Aslan is not creating man. Um, but man is going to rule Narnia, and rightfully so. Okay. Son of Adam, daughter of Eve. Right. Um, in the second book, Aslan is the, uh, the Christ sacrifice. This is definitely his most famous book, and rightfully so. Um, his most famous uh, Chronicles of Narnia book. Yeah. Um, and... Yeah, this is the Lion, yeah. the Witch, and the Wardrobe, which probably... Uh, I yeah. mean, I know it's pretty clear, but... We'll yeah. Be, yeah. No, yeah, fair enough. Uh, the Christ sacrifice. Um, he takes... He takes his... Uh, Edmund's place as the traitor. Right. Um, and dies for him. Uh, comes back to life because his sacrifice was done without guilt. Mm-hmm. And kills the White Witch. Right. Um, whom Diggory... Um, one of the main protagonists of the magician's nephew brought into um brought into narnia right um and so sin is immediately brought into um into creation in the magician's nephew in the uh, in the lion the witch and the wardrobe um not only does aslan's uh reclaim edmund's life um but also kills the white witch and so that not that the sin is is gone because there's still future events that well aren't great you know right. the the new world hasn't hasn't come um but but the claim on that world um by a tyrannical magical usurper of a different world uh is defeated and killed okay um in the third book he is almost the... It's the horse and his boy. Yeah, the horse and his boy. Yeah, I, I should specify that. <laughs> it's all good, um, that's why but, I'm here. <laughs> yeah. But he... Aslan represents this um, go-behind type of character. Both a comfort, right. but also uh, a prompter. And um, the mover forwards, like... Come on, Shasta and Erebus. Get going. You've got a mission. Right. Let's go. You know, you've got to... Warn King Loon uh, against Rabidash. Okay. Um, so you can think of him as the Lord who goes behind. Um, right. Uh, and and I think that I'll move to the fifth rather than the fourth, which is. Uh, <laughs> oh, we're skipping a book here. Yeah. I'll, well, I'll move back to that right, one this because is Prince Caspian, right? This is the movie that you hated, right? <laughs> the, the fourth. Is there, wait, is there the fourth. Con- the fourth is Prince Caspian. No, the, <laughs> the fifth is the Voyage of the Dawn Treader, and right, this okay. one is. The moral compass towards himself. Um, that's right. where Aslan is. You know, you're you're moving towards Aslan's land, right. and he helps you along that way as the compass, the moral compass towards it, towards the east. Right. And um, so he is the go behind in the third, and the go going forward in front of you. Okay. Uh, in the fifth, and that's why I jumped to the fifth. Okay. Um, I was just skipping Prince Caspian because you hated the movie, right? Hey. <laughs> And the the book, I, I like the book. Um, okay, that's it, good. And 
I, I think that it's supposed to be one of my favorites. It's it's actually not, but that's just happenstance, I think. That's just a taste. <laughs> that's just you being weird, right? That's me being weird. That's <laughs> I'm right. I'm kidding, man. No, no, it's it's true. Um, no, no, no. Anyways. Yeah, uh, but uh, the it's it's very much... Um, the In the fourth book, yes, a moral compass again, but it's, it's almost... Um, for Caspian, it's this symbol um, of what he's supposed to be in the values that he's supposed to embody as the king um, and as the rightful and new king of Narnia. It's almost this new dynasty. Right. Um, and uh, he, this is tested um, when help seems not to have come. Nicobric, uh, the dwarf, and two companions, a hag and a werewolf, they think of a plan to conjure up the white witch again which uh, it's implied that they very well could have. Okay. And um, and they're going to, because it's a little bit of bad, um, it's that temptation of a little bit of bad, um, perhaps um, for the greater good. Uh, you're doing it for perhaps the greater good. That's a theme that we're going to be, um, that, that we're going to be talking about, and it's, it's always there in every story with temptation. Right. Just do this little bit of bad, for the greater good, um, and it's tested, right? I mean, his his loyalty to the good, to his people, and to Aslan is tested um, because it seems like help hasn't come, um, although it's right at its doorstep, as Truffle Hunter says, the badger. Right. Um, but um, he he still defies uh, defies um, this uh, this tempting offer. Um, and he, um, Dr. Cornelius and Truffle Hunter, the badger, um, they, they fight Nicobric, uh, the werewolf and the hag, um, and Peter and Edmund burst into the room with Trumpkin and they, they defeat the three. Um, that was sort of the moment of testing. Um, that was the moment of moral testing, that, that temptation. And so Caspian has truly aligned himself with, um, with the symbol of the good, with Aslan, um, with that right direction of what he should be as a king. And the stakes are, I, I can't stress the stakes enough <laughs> okay. at, at this point. I think it's the most important part of that book. Okay. Um, and you might say that that second battle of Baruna is I don't I don't think so I think um, it's that I think that's the deciding point of whether this king is going to be a true king of Narnia right okay um, and be the last dynasty of Narnia as well um, and Aslan uh, is also the coronator of this king if that's a word um, he's uh, he makes him the rightful king of the new age. It's now a new age. The old one's done. The Telmarine occupation is over. Um, It's it's land back to the beasts with the humans um, as the leaders. Um, Okay, so we can move on to the sixth (laughs) book, which is The Silver Chair. Um, And this is... Aslan as the path, you know, it's uh, what would Aslan have us do, says Eustace and Jill. Right. Um, and it's through doing what 
Aslan would want them to do, morally speaking, following that moral compass, um, following that path that um, that they'll succeed. And they, they fall off of that path a few times. Um, one of them in particular is when they get caught by the giants um, because, uh, because they went off the path, um, not the physical path, um, but that moral path. And they... Um, almost eat and kind of ignorantly eat um, a talking stag, uh, which is, and Paruglum says, no, this is, um, do not take another bite, you know. Um, so this, this path of, if you follow this path, then you will do what is good. You will do um, what Aslan had sent you out to do. Right. Um, the seventh book is pretty clear. Aslan is the end. Um, this is his last coming. It's the eschaton. He's calling the world to an end, and ushering in the new one. Right. Um, it's and it's described in the last battle, which is the seventh book, um, as if the old Narnia were a mirror image of the new one. It's okay. a beautiful image. Um, and so Aslan ful fulfills so many Christ-like rules, not like. Not only the creating word, which is the, the beginning of the world, so very yeah. much that Genesis creation story. Well, the John, yeah, I mean the John one, right? Like the beginning was the word, and the word was God, and the word mm -hmm. was with God. Uh, yeah, the yeah, absolutely. Right there, so the logos, and then the second book, uh, the Christ sacrifice, right. um, and then the comfort and the prompter and the mover forwards of uh, of his people to go and do his to 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 do his mission mm -hmm. and then also uh also as a symbol of the good and kingly direction um and the the coronator mm -hmm. of of the king of the new age the moral compass towards him so he walks um behind us but also before us um he's also the path uh the way that we should go and right. uh our decisions on which path should we take one of them is his path right and the end as well not just not just the creation but also the end yeah, he the calls coming, the coming king right yeah like, so very very christ-like illusion mm -hmm. um and he definitely it's un it's undoubted that he represents the christ character in this story um and it's his will that is done throughout all of these of these books. It's these preordained things that he has for um, for these protagonists to do that they don't do um, in full. Um, they they don't do it correctly in full, but he helps them along the way. And he helps them stumble towards the end. Um, and then I think that we can really start getting into the themes knowing um, who are um, who are very necessary and underlying characters, that being Aslan. I yeah. think we can really start getting into those, right. into some of the deep themes of the Chronicles of Narnia. Um, so which one did you want to get into first? Yeah. Well, why don't we... Uh... Yeah, I mean, you 
you kind of mentioned earlier um, in our personal conversation, I should mention, um, there's a theme in the books about good freedom. So I'm kind of curious as to mean what you mean by that. <laughs> okay, yeah. So one thing um, I would say that I would talk about before we talk about freedom right. per se <laughs> is sort of the the contrariness of Narnia and a southern nation, um, uh, Kalorman. Okay. And um, the the very obvious um, contrast that C.S. Lewis has. So one of these things is that Kalorman's very much um, uh, this. It's it's almost got this Indian caste system where it's um, a very strict social strata, uh, and you're born into the social strata and you act accordingly. Okay. Um, and it's it's kind of tyrannical as well. You don't even question the Tisrock if you're if you're his own son. Right. Um, and that's that's opposed to Narnia where it's where it's more I take care of the people below me and they respect me, but but you know, like one thing Eustace points out, um, that I think is funny enough is there's no taxes. Right. <laughs> you right. know? There, there's there's this freedom and unrestrained joy um and a good type of joy you know you're um these beasts um these these talking and non-talking beasts they roll around and play and they do they they do their thing they they really are a community rather than an empire or kingdom like even the term king is kind of loose right because because it's it's very much more a community um but they have to fight against um other kingdoms that that would subject them to to uh, to tyranny, and one of them being the giants, other ones being uh, the Kalormins. Right. It almost sounds like there's a proper understanding of power in Narnia versus the misuse of it in in, in the uh, the kingdom of the Kalamorians. Kalamor- uh, yeah. Um, yeah. Sorry. The yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. Because like you were saying that like. They, yeah, you work for the people below you, right? Like, you are given power to serve, mm-hmm. right? So anyone who's been given power, and this is just in general, right? We're going to kind of lean into the discussion of freedom and power, I think, as just a philosophical discussion. Um, and I'm going to see if I can relate it back to Narnia as best as I can, or you can at least. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like, there's this... Right, you're, you're, we are each of us given a certain amount of power for the task that we are responsible for, right? So uh, a king is given exactly the amount of power that he needs not to serve himself not so that he can live in, in comfort or, or enjoy but so that he can make others do so and in so doing then gaining that joy whereas a misunderstanding misunderstanding of power which is the tyranny where it's your you're using the power that you have mostly for your own good and then you're working that else kind of trickles down naturally because you know maybe helping out the people below you sometimes is going to be beneficial for you um it's almost like that selfish motivation versus the uh, the selfless motivation um, because it's exactly the misunderstanding of power. That's right. I mean, it's it's not as if you have power just to have power over people and mm-hmm. for your own for your own good. A proper understanding of hierarchy and I, I I'm not sure C.S. Lewis was completely anti hierarchy or anything like that. A proper understanding of it, the one that I really like, is. The one where the people above take care of the people below, and the one, uh, the ones below, uh, 
respect the people above and look for direction. It's mm -hmm. almost this Confucian type of yeah, exactly um, type of respect. Um, a, it's it's sort of an old value that <laughs> I wish we had in our society. Um, but you know, I digress. Um, and then there's there's other comparisons too, like um, oh well, one of them is it. This is this is seen in the Voyage of the Dawn Treader when. Caspian goes to the Lone Islands. The Lone Islands are theoretically under Narnian rule. Um, however, it seems to have been influenced by Kalorman a lot because Kalorman is um, trading slaves there. Right. Um, and the Narnians haven't been there in like, what, 150 years? Something like that. And so while in theory... The governor reports to the Narnians uh, and issues laws in the name of Narnia. He's really just ruled by by greed, by power, and by vice, and um, also by laziness as well. I would say. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's he's rather ineffectual as well. Um, and it, it's this slavery versus freedom theme where. Um, the Kellermans um, and the pirates, they're, they're trading slaves. Um, and and the Narnians are outraged at this. You know, um, Caspian's outraged at this and abolishes slavery on, um, on the island um, as, as what it is. You know, it's, it's, not, um, it's not making a living. It's not, it's not that issue. It's, uh, it's the issue of um, trading free-willed people um, against their will and taking away their power and therefore their responsibility to do any good mm -hmm. in the world besides serve their one particular master that they happen to get landed on lucky or unlucky. Um, and so I guess that's really getting into the theme of freedom to do good. Right. Um, you know, that question. And um, when you have freedom there's there's this autonomous power element and from a previous episode we were really talking about power implies responsibility to do good when you have power you can use it for yourself and you can um but it's a misuse um because you have a responsibility to yourself but also to your community and um to to those around you because well, I think that it's already inherent that it is better to give rather than to keep for yourself. Right. Like, people just understand that as a basic fact. But yeah. also because we've been delegated to love. Mm -hmm. um, Jesus says um, uh, in the book of John, I forget where, I give only this command, love one another. Right. Um, which is a lot more difficult than what it sounds. Mm-hmm. And it's this, it's this freedom with this autonomous power to actually use it, not because you have to, but freely. It's a generous giving of good, of right. love, and of, of um, beneficence. That's a word. <laughs> I'm going to call it a word. That's pretty cool. Um, <laughs> I'm totally claiming it if it's not. Copyright. Copyright. Um, 
Well, so, okay, I was going to ask a question about yeah. the islands in particular that we were talking about earlier. Um, is there, would you say, and I'm just going to throw this out there, was there a theme of neg- neglecting responsibility? Sounds like, because you said earlier that it was ruled officially by Narnia, but it wasn't exactly uh, visited by the Narnians for a very long time. Um, and so it seems as though they were neglecting their responsibility in maintaining that area. Is that is that perhaps a, something that you could suggest? Because like no, fair enough. But I don't think so. And the reason is because it was Telmarine rule before Caspian, okay. and the Telmarines, um, like they they are um, sort of enemies um, in in because we're we're going for the old Narnians, you know, the right. the talking beasts and and the people who rule them rightly. Mm-hmm. Um, the Telmarines were afraid of the east because they were afraid of the forests at the east end of Caraparavel, where things just happened to be a little bit more magical, and so you know they're worried about ghosts, very superstitious. So they they didn't even see fair. Um, so it's complete no- neglect by fear, actually, um, and which is you know Miraz sends. Uh, his seven lords who are loyal to the Caspian, uh, the Caspian's lo- uh, line, mm-hmm. he sends them out that way because he's like, "Yep, they're gonna die." You know, it's a it's a pretended, um, sort of a pretended honor, um, right. sort of in the way that Saul uh, gets um, uh, David to kill a hundred Philistines. It's like this pretended honor, and you can, you you will get riches and rewards and all the stuff, but uh, but this is a plan to kill you. Right. Type of deal. Now, but at the same time, I mean, it seems as though, again, like there's this, or because we mentioned it was neglected. Um, like, is there an al- uh, allusion, at least, to, you know, perhaps a Christian life where we have, um, we have been given kingship over er- certain areas of our own life. And if we neglect to rule them properly then we can start to see the enemy slip into those areas and and misuse those areas mm-hmm. right whether it be something like our sexuality or our money or our free time or our thinking time um i mean these are uh, very areas that uh, can very easily be neglected because even because of fear right like you were saying how they they avoided these islands because they were afraid um and i yeah i mean hmm. i wonder if there's some sort of allusion to that I mean, that was kind of where my mind went when you were yeah. talking about them so i thought maybe there's something there but no uh, i i think i think so all the same i think that's i think that's pretty cool to talk about i'm glad you picked up on that because good takes moral effort it takes a lot of effort mm-hmm. i mean there's there's an example where in the horse and his boy um where shasta has defended the horses and erebus against the lion whom um they don't know who it's that it's aslan at the time right and you know he's he's making sure that they go forward at full speed and he bravely stands up to him um as if he were a dumb lion who's going to kill them all um and so he does this good and courageous thing he gets them to safety and then um c.s lewis kind of points out little did shasta know that the, that sometimes the reward for doing good is to have to do a greater and more difficult good. <laughs> right, right. Um, so it's like this this theme of, of courage in face of fear while living up to your responsibility is, is a better good. Mm-hmm. Right? So 
even though you're afraid of, of having to live up to your responsibility, because sometimes it can be terrifying to do so, it's still necessary for you to be doing good. And, and again, the neglect of doing that good, even if you're afraid, is going to lead to a greater evil. And what it shows is that the more good that you do, the more like it's still going to be difficult to do good it's not like you get good practice at doing <laughs> yeah. good like sort of yeah. it's it's sort of that you get good practice at it but the good things that you can do and you have opportunity to do become more difficult and greater mm-hmm. um, and you gain responsibility over more we were talking about the parable of the talents it's my favorite is my favorite parable because I find it applies to so many things yeah and you know, the guy who has, who has been given the five talents, another guy who's been given two, and another one who's been given one. Or was it three talents? It was three talents. It was three talents. Okay. Well, the guy with the five talents, you know, you might say, hey, lucky him, he got five, and then he got ten, and he has all the stuff. It's, yes, he also has that much power, and therefore that much responsibility. Um, he could have wasted it licentiously. Mm-hmm. What if he had lost three? Sure, he would have had two, and one guy would have had one, um, but he would have been punished far worse than one guy having one. Right. Um, because he lost three. Yeah. Um, so, I, I don't know. It's, um, it, it's, it's this increase of effort that you need to put in to do, right. to, to do more and more difficult things. See, it's funny so, for me, though, when I think about that parable, <clears throat> again, when you look at it from the wrong perspective, you look at this guy who's been given five, and you sit there and you think, perhaps, oh, he's been given five, he's so lucky. But again, you got to consider, this guy's expectation was to make five more. That's a lot of more stress than the guy who's been given three or the guy who's been given one. Mm-hmm. Um, and what's even more so is that once he finally comes out at the end of it with ten instead of five, he's then also given the guy who had one, he's given his talent as well. So he's yep. now bumped himself up from 5 to 11. Um, and so you would expect then his next expectation would then be to produce 11 more, if not even more, right? So it's like the more power you have, the more responsibility you do have. I mean, we can see that, right? But it's just you, you can't always envy those in power then yeah. because their responsibility is that much greater as well. I think of that line at the end, to those who have, more will be given. <laughs> yeah. And it's like... Yeah, kind of. It, like it, absolutely, that is that is exactly what it is. But it's not like to him who, to him who has more, he will just you know have the have even a better life. Yeah, it's no, like, that's not exactly what it's saying at all. It, it's it might be perhaps it's also you will have a bit more of a pleasurable life. There's also a lot more to mm-hmm. there's a lot more work to be done. Right. Um, Eleven's a lot. Eleven's, <laughs> I mean, isn't it like eleven cities at the end in taking care of eleven cities? That's a lot. Sure. Um, I mean, there's conversation about what the talents represented, but that's a different, uh, a they, different conversation for theology and and. <laughs> yeah. Um, but anyways, yeah, no, you're right. I mean, so really getting back to this good freedom <laughs> theme because it's such a such a broad one, and also we're going to spiral a lot on this one because there's because it's it's completely inseparable from power and goodness as well right. um and responsibility um there there are two freedoms that i want to pose against there's the freedom to do whatever you want and it's like yeah you have freedom um 
and and you have these rights but don't misuse them to do to just do whatever you want that's that's Eustace's problem he's right. like I have this right and this right and this right and this right and leave me alone I get to do whatever I want I do not belong to you guys I'm just I'm here for myself and I'm going to uh, how dare you have taken me unwillingly with you and he finds every reason to complain because it's not going his way right um, and because his way is the only important one for him so that's another key you can't think of your rights as things that you should be treating as as um, as rights for yourself and as if they were only things for yourself to protect just yourself uh, and you can't hide behind them to shirk moral responsibility your responsibility in fact should probably be equaling the rights that you have um, because if you're this because your rights say I'm I'm this valuable and I have this much potential so I must be given this amount of freedom it's now that freedom will equal the amount of responsibility that you have to do right the more rights you're given <laughs> the more responsibility you have yeah. do not hide behind your rights to shirk responsibility exactly it's a complete misuse um and so that's your answer to good freedom mm -hmm. yeah question all right, well, that was a good one. That was a, a bit of a long one. Um, we're not gonna spend too much time on the last one. I think we got what, ten minutes left before we uh, want to wrap up. So. Oh, I mean, um, I don't know. We'll, but also, this we try to keep this as real as possible. So there's going to be. Also, I'm learning how to articulate my thoughts better, um, and so there's going to be a lot of stumbling, to the point that we get to our final answer. Right. And. Um, I hope you guys are enjoying the ride as well. <laughs> um, I hope so. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, so yeah, no, we'll get, we'll get to the next question then. Yeah. Um, so I think one of the bigger ones too we talked about was uh, a little bit of bad for the sake of the greater good. Um, and then there's also this, this theme of temptation as well. So what would you have to say for for that theme in uh, in the Chronicles of Narnia? Well, it's everywhere. where Wherever there's temptation... There is that. There is that question. Um, one thing that we talked about when we were talking about Lord of the Rings was um, uh, replacing yourself as as the cause for good. Um, so rather than seeing good as something that you should be aiming yourself towards, it's putting yourself in between um, good and the power to do good, and deciding what that good is right um so that's one element uh, of doing a little bit of bad for the sake of the greater good but it's also just the initial action of doing a little bit of bad for the sake like why not conjure up the white witch in order to bring a better rule and prosperity to narnia in the end by the way not going to happen like that <laughs> it never does never does but that temptation is is there and you know it's satan whispering why not take the fruit to the knowledge of good and evil knowledge is good mm -hmm. um even knowledge of evil is good right and this way you can become as powerful as god and power is good and you know you you will use this power well i know you will i believe in you it's like do this one little bad thing you know maybe just you know shirk god's law a little bit and 
do all the good that you can afterwards, you know, right. and and you're capable of it. I believe in you. I think I think a good example of that we see in the Old Testament would be uh, Uzziah and the uh, the Ark, right? The coming the coming of the Ark, where David has this has this whole procession of people bringing the Ark back from from the Philistines, and uh, as they're carrying this Ark over in a cart, and the cart ends up basically breaking its wheel or hitting a rock or something like that, and it ends up falling down into the or about to fall down to the earth. And this man, Uzziah, reaches out his hand, touches it, and dies. He wants to save the Ark. He wants to do this little bit of bad, because he knows he shouldn't be touching the Ark. It is it is a bad thing to do so, but he wants to do so for the greater good of preserving the Ark mm-hmm. um, from the dirt in the ground. I don't know if that... I feel like that kind of speaks into the same story. Um, but, yeah. Oh, oh, it's it's everywhere where there's regarding temptation let's talk about matthew 4 i mean jesus is tempted immediately after um uh being called um uh god's beloved and then satan's like prove you're beloved let's go man uh let's 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 test this new um uh ordination and uh um and affirmed baptism and um not not adoption but almost like a like as if it were the certificate Let, let's test it out um so you can turn these stones into into bread why why not do it yeah. you have the power why not prove it yeah you know god's just giving you miracle power yeah. let's go man and surely um, surely he would have been hungry so it's not as though it would have been Right, like it would have been for the greater good. I mean, how can you minister to someone when you're so distracted by hunger? Exactly. Right? Like, you can almost hear that temptation being brought into him because he was hungry. Yeah. Quite frankly. Or, or not only that, throw yourself from the temple, and God will prove, and and you will prove that God really cares about you because He's not going to let you hit the floor. He loves you. So, are you sure? Because, if uh, if that's the case. He should save you. Mm-hmm. No harm done. No harm done. Um, or at least the littlest possible harm is done. Right. And it it's always, it's such a bluff because it's like, it looks like a little bit of harm, but afterwards the real consequences happen. What if Jesus had fallen to these temptations? Right. Um, he would not have been able to save us mm-hmm. because it needed to be a sinless yeah, uh, man who who died, lion and the witch in the wardrobe. Aslan needed to give up his yeah. life, willingly, and and he need to ha- needed to have done no wrong. Otherwise, he would have been a traitor himself, and he would have died. Right. Uh, rightfully so, as a traitor. Right. Or even um, you were mentioning, yeah, just yeah, for the sake of greater good, right? Like I think. Peter's also a great example of this too. Not Peter from the Hernia, Peter from the Bible. Let's be clear, the Apostle Peter. Um, right, he he often takes on the role of I'm going to do whatever's necessary for the greater good. Right? Yeah. Surely you can't go to the cross, Jesus. That like surely you can't go to Jerusalem. I'm going to stop you, and, and then he gets rebuked by Jesus. Um, or later on when he's it's almost getting arrested, opposite. It's almost opposite. It's as if like here's what looks immediately good. Mm-hmm. But the greater good is still hidden. Yeah. So it's almost like an opposite type of temptation, that's right. and yeah. that's actually really cool that you that because I didn't think of that. Right. It's like. Um, or or the counter in the Garden of Gethsemane is the same kind of idea where, um, right again the greater good of of Christ going to the cross, and yet Peter wanted to step in and say no and took off the ear of the guy, 
Well, he has mm-hmm. to do whatever he wants for for what he deems as good. And and again, perfectly right. Like Peter understood that Christ was innocent. He understood that it was not a good thing for Christ to go to the cross. But there was still that greater good of him actually going to the cross. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, it's it's we can't see future events. Right. I always wonder what it would have been like. <laughs> If we could see future events, the problem is that because we are the the immediate effectors of the things around us, then could we change what we do and change the future um, then that is slated out for us? And and I I think so. And then that would be a real problem. Yeah, I don't want the, t- I don't want the, the TVA coming here and uh, and uh, taking us oh, off. The I am timeline. so looking forward <laughs> to that. Don't don't get me started on Loki. Loki into this. Stop uh, it. Anyway, sorry about that. No, we we're going to go back to our topic. Um, yeah, you know what? Um, I mean, we talked quite a bit about responsibility, duty, and power. Uh, I think that was kind of the other discussion we wanted to have. So I think at this point in time, probably not a bad idea to wrap it up. I think so too. Um, um, yeah, I think uh, just kind of leave the question off of you guys. Did we miss any themes, big themes going on in Chronicles of Narnia? Um, also, should I read the series again? I feel like I should, but I, I want to get your guys' opinion on that too. Um, do you guys think it's like, you know, just a series for kids? Is there uh, mm-hmm. something to take away from it as an yep. adult? Um, yeah, I think these are good conversational pieces. Also, we have a Discord channel, and this is where you can throw in suggestions. Yeah. Um, yeah. Although you can always do that in the comment section as well, yeah. um, if you're watching it on YouTube. Um, although I know most of you guys prefer Spotify, because you can, you know, you can keep that in, you can keep uh, your phone in your pocket and yeah spotify premium is pretty nice for that it's pretty good for that but um absolutely any suggestions for how we can improve our quality but also the things that we can talk about as well um we would love to hear your opinion on that um yeah and if uh you could um and if you're interested in this content if if you could subscribe on youtube or follow us um wherever you listen to us yeah um and if you're really invested join our discord server for our discussion um That would be awesome. And just to give you guys a little taste of what's happening next week, I think next week we're going to be talking about Harry Potter yeah. and J.K. Rowling. Um, and I, I kind of want to get this out of the way, too, is that we're going to be, I think, working through kind of some of the foundational pieces for our mythology, and then we're going to basically be diving into more free-range topics after yeah. that. Um, I want to make sure that we yeah we cover our bases. Um, I think we're going to be talking about Star Wars after that at some point. Yeah some point we're going to talk about Marvel as well, but then we, we really do want to start talking about some of the more specific things in those things. Yeah. Um, and so instead of just talking about Lord of the Rings as a whole, we can actually talk about particular things or, or Star Wars as a whole, we can talk about the Mandalorian. And I know Joel is just itching at this point to talk about Loki. So, yeah. but I don't want to really get into that until we've actually covered our basis for what, what we're doing and why we're doing it. So, um, yeah, no, thank you again for listening guys and, uh, like, and subscribe and we'll see you next time. See ya.